Will you turn with me to the scriptures, to the book of Psalms, please? Bless God. Psalm 66, please. Just going to lift a couple of verses out and we'll explain a bit of this psalm. But keep your Bible open and we'll look at other portions of scripture also. While you're looking it up, I'll just get a drink. So Psalm 66, and we're going to read verse 5. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible and is doing toward the children of men. Now that word terrible simply means it speaks of his majesty and his might and his power. It doesn't mean he's a terrible God. It means it's his majesty, his might and his power. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. Let your eye run down to verse 16. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the singing, the songs of Zion, the hymns, Lord, that we have sang about the blood and about your son. Thank you for Encounter Grace and their ministry. Thank you, Father, that even at times we can have a light heart. And, Lord, yes, even we have laughed. But thank you, Lord, now that, Lord, this part is where your word is divided. And it's like the bread that you break and give to the disciples to give to the multitude. We pray, Lord, that bread would be broken. The word of God would be delivered. And just as a multitude fed off that bread and just as they took in off the bread for their bodies we pray that this spiritual bread will be broken and someone will take it in maybe all take it in but may someone take it in into their spirit into their soul into their heart and mind and lord we pray that you'd save souls tonight we worship you and we Just rest in you and we wait for your blessed spirit to come and rest upon our hearts. To come and anoint the man to preach. Come and settle us. Lord, that we may be in your sight as a a people waiting for you to feed them to the glory of your name. We love you. We worship you. None like you. Have thine own way, Lord. In this place tonight, I ask it. In the worthy and most precious and powerful name. The name which you have given to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For his glory we ask it. Amen. Tonight we want to speak on the subject, the sights and sounds of a saved soul. The sights and sounds of a saved soul. In our very first verse, that is in verse 5 of our reading, it says, come and see the works of God. Come and see an invitation. In verse 16, the invitation carries on. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Psalm 66 has a topic of praise and of exaltation and joy toward God. In verse 5 of the psalm it says, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. And so the praise is the topic, if you want. Praise is the topic of Psalm 66. And such praise unto God is worthy, it is right, and it is required. It is worthy, it is right, and it is required. And it's all of that due to the subjects which are in Psalm 66. And there's subjects here, I'll mention them, but we won't have time to go through them all this evening. But for example, in the Psalm, subject one is the Lord's great work and his ways. And hence God deserves the praise and honor and glory for that. The Lord's Great work in his ways. And then secondly, there is the Lord's gracious benefits and his blessings. And 
And then thirdly, there is the Lord's gracious deliverances to Israel, to his people. And fourthly, there is the Lord's grand feat of testimony in the heart of David. For example, when we read in verse Psalm 66 and verse 16, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Hear the, the praises at the beginning of the psalm. And all that God has done continues through the psalm. And then after that, we have the testimony of a saved soul. We have the sights and the sounds of a saved soul. For example, in verse 17, he says, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And hence a personal testimony is penned to the closing of Psalm 66. So the direct invitation in verse 5 is, come and see. Come and see. And in verse 16 it is, come and hear. Come and hear. You see, God throughout history, since Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, he has extended an invitation to Adam's race. He has extended invitation. He has called out throughout time and throughout Israel's history, sending forth the prophets with the word of God, calling them to turn to listen, to look, and to see, to turn on to him that they might be delivered. So God has called out through millennia unto his people, and he calls out to us also to gather unto him. He calls out to us that we must trust him, even to seek after him, and to let us never forget it was God who first sought out man. And that's important. It was God who first sought out man, fallen Adam, in the garden. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, we have Adam and Eve, and they have sinned, and now they're hiding because they hear the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? First question in your Bible. By God. Where art thou? Now you might say, did God not know where Adam was? Did God not realize where Adam was? After all, he's God. Is he not omniscient to know all things? Omnipresent, he's already there. Well, the answer is yes, yes, and yes, he did. Well, then why did he call out, where art thou? Where are you? Adam, where are you? And I'll tell you why he calls it out. He calls it out for this simple reason as this. Although he knows all, he wanted Adam to see what he had done to come before him and to repent and to acknowledge his own sin and to repent. So he comes walking and he calls for Adam. Adam, where art thou? Where are you, Adam? Brothers and sisters, we see today that that's God seeking out from the very beginning. God sought fallen Adam and all hence after that. So God says, where art thou? We hear of the prophets and as we've spoken of the word, they cry out throughout the Old Testament. It comes into the New Testament. And the Lord Jesus says in Luke 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So here he comes to seek. People say, I found Jesus. It was impossible for you to find Jesus because you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. The furthest thought of our natural minds and our carnal thinking, the furthest thought is Jesus. We think in everything else. We think in everyone else. We think in all our problems. And we had our minds set on the sins of the world. And we heard Ross's testimony this morning about the addictions that the, the Lord had saved him out of and brought him from. And this personal testimony is a, a, the sights and sounds of a saved soul. We see here that the Lord is saying, where are you? Jesus is saying, 
The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And again in Matthew 15 and 24, he says, I am not come, but for the lost sheep, the house of Israel. In other words, he says, I'm coming to seek. I'm coming to seek out the sheep. I'm coming to search for them. And hence through time, through the witness of the apostles and the word of God, he sought us out. He went after us. He sought us. Listen, you're not an afterthought of God if you're a child of God. You're not an afterthought. It wasn't in your own will, your own mind, your own choosing, nor your own strength that you were saved. In the mind of the Father, you were already saved in eternity. And he sent forth his Son that his Son would come in the fullness of clarity to die for you, to die for your soul. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It is God who always initiates the first move. It is God who always seeks out the sinner, not the sinner of the Lord. It is God who always does the inviting, come to me. Through the Spirit and the Word, come to me. Come and repent. Come, Adam, where are you? Come out to me. The Lord Jesus, as he walked through Judea, as he went around Galilee, calling men unto him, come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Come, he said. There's someone tonight and he says, would you come? Would you follow me? Will you come to me? I've sought you out. I'm seeking you out. Would you come? It is God who always does the inviting and it is God who calls the sheep. Listen to what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. He knew his sheep. He knew it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, he says. And hence the calling in the heart of man and woman, sinful man and woman, the calling starts with the initiative of God. When you have the interest in your heart, when you have, as it were, the desire kindling in your heart, it's not of yourself. It's God the Holy Ghost who comes and speaks and moves in the heart of the sinner first. In Psalm 66, it starts with praise and it's the, the instruments are playing and, and the, the singing is being sung and, and it closes with this personal testimony from a grateful heart. Notice the heart here is grateful. I'm so glad that, I'm so glad that I know that My soul is right with God. The psalmist is just delighted. He's thrilled. He's blessed. That he knows that his soul is right with God. Is your soul right with God tonight? This wonderful, beautiful evening, I know we're down greatly people away and some of the ladies, you have done actually really well how many are right tonight, by the way. I have to say, I thought less would have come out, but God bless you. The rest of them must have got as much sleep as you. But anyway, (laughs) Alson says there wasn't much sleeping done anyway. I can tell you, you see when your soul is saved. Do you see when you have an assurance of salvation? See, whenever you know Christ from the inner man, the inner woman, I mean, know him. I'm not talking about no religion. I'm not talking about no ritual. I'm not talking about knowing those things or knowing denomination. I'm not talking about knowing anything but the person of Christ. I'm talking about the person of the Son of God, the person of the Savior, the one who died and was buried and rose again the third day, knowing that you know him and that you are saved and secured by him. There's nothing like it. This psalmist is rejoicing and he's even inviting, come in here. Come in here, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. 
I want to tell you what Christ can do for the soul. I want to tell you of the love of Christ for your soul. I want to tell you of the glories of Christ in the soul. I want to tell you about the blood of Christ to wash you free from your sin and your soul is clean, saved. The psalmist is saying, come. Someone tonight that will come and hear all that God has done. How could we ever tell? How could we ever tell all that God has done for us? How could we ever begin to imagine ourselves? And even when I sit sometimes myself, and I'm sure many of you do, but I sit sometimes myself and I ponder and I think of my own uh, walk with the Lord, the testimony that we heard this morning and my own testimony where God brought me from the sin and the shame and the things that go with it and the addiction and everything that wrapped up in it. And I think about it, my hopelessness, my helplessness, my emptiness, and I think what he's done for my soul. Think how he saved me. He came to me. When I couldn't come to where he was, he came to me. My soul. You know, Mary, the mother of our Lord, her Magnificat, I sing it. There's a wee chorus of it, and I, I, I wish we knew it because I'd love to sing it. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. The course is a little bit different. Who knows the course? Does anybody know the course? It looks like a duet, me and you, Jeff. <laughs> Allison knows it, she's just pretending. Come and see, grateful heart, uh, from a saved soul, uh, the sights and the sounds. He says, there's, there's glory all around us and we, we miss it. But how did I begin to tell what Christ has done for my soul, for me personally? And Ross came this morning and tried to explain. You know, when you can try to explain and you, you try to tell what's in there, you try to tell how it happened. But unless you were there, you, the difference is, see, I know where I was saved from. I know where he found me. I know where he rescued me from. I know what he had to do to deliver me and to save me and to make me pure and clean. He had to go to Calvary. I know where I was. In the horrible pit in the Mary clay, in the depths of despair. I know where I was when Christ came right into my mess and muck and mar. And he laid hold on me. Declared me as his own. And he took me out from the horrible pit. From a merry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. He's established my goings. He's put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. And the psalmist says, many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. You see, the visual of a saved soul and the sounds that they make about their Savior and his great love for them. It wins people to Christ. It wins people over to Christ. Notice here, the psalmist, as it were, offers his hand. But it's really God offering his hand. And he goes, Come and see. Will you come and see? Come and see. And then with that, again he goes, then come and hear. Come and hear about the Christ. Come and hear about the one who's so loving and kind and generous and good. The one who went all the way to carry, as it were, his cross up Golgotha's hill to be kneeled hand and foot, to be whipped and scorned and he beaten and battered and bruised and bloodied. He says, do you want to come and see? Oh, Holy Ghost, will you carry us to see Calvary? 
Will you take us, Lord, and show us it? Will you take our hearts, take our minds, and bring us there, transport us back to the foot of the cross. Transport us back to the foot of the center cross. That we may come and see. Psalmist offers his hand, but really it is God inviting and offering his hand. And he says to you tonight, would you come and see? Then come and hear. There are two head gates. In verse 5, come and see is the eye gate. And then, of course, in verse 16, it is come and hear the ear gate. Come and see the works of God. See, in Israel's history is rehearsed and it's to cause the people to think back in times of trouble that God always was, that God had loved them, that God was with them and God caused them to walk in a victory. It was God that done this for Israel. It was God that brought them through the Red Sea. It was God that brought them through the River Jordan. It was God that cast out their enemies in Canaan land. It was God that fed the manna in the wilderness. It was God that brought forth water out of a flinty rock. It was God that brought them meat and quail at the time. It was God. It was Him all the time. And the psalmist says, have you forgotten who He is? Reverse your mind back to what God has done for you. That's what he's saying. Psalm 66, and I'll not read too much of it, but verse 6, he says, He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood and fruit. There did we rejoice in him. Then he talks of his omnipotence. He says, He ruleth by his power forever. So this is the God who came from heaven's glory. This is the God who came down in deliverance and power. But this is the one who left and became a baby of Bethlehem. This is the one who walked Galilee and Judea and Samaria. This is the one who ministered among the people who turned their back on him and walked away from him. He even called that they might crucify him. He says, now this one. Here he is in Psalm 66. He opens the sea. He opens the river. He brings forth the quail. He drops down the water out of a flinty rock. And he lays on the ground the manna. He says, this is your God, Israel. He says, now have you forgotten about him? Because he's worthy of the praise. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is worthy of all our praise. He's worthy. He alone is worthy. He comes in the form of humanity. There in the person of his son. He goes to the cross. For someone like me. For somebody like you. Now here's a little pause gap. I want you to think, friend, if you're not saved. How do you feel? What do you think? In what way do you think you will get into God's heaven if he had to send his son to go through a horrific death that he might pay your debt of sin and the shedding of his blood? He was mutilated. It says he was marred more than any man. And you think you're going to live your life and end up in heaven? heard this morning, Ross, said... uh, he went into Monday and he says he got saved. She says, oh, but you're a Protestant. <laughs> you know what? He said, if he hadn't got saved, whether he was a Protestant, so-called or not, he had died and went to hell. Same in any faith, without Christ. He's the only way. So ask yourself in this little pause, how do you expect to get into God's heaven? How do you expect to get into God's heaven? There's nothing you can offer him. Nothing. Because it took him to give his very bosom. Jesus says, I am in the bosom of the Father. Took the very heart of God. Do you hear me? 
You listen, it took the very heart of God. God gave us heart that you might be saved. God gave us heart that you might be redeemed. God gave us heart that you might be forgiven. God gave his own heart in the person of his son that you might be with him in glory. And people live their lives and think, well, I'm good enough. And the Bible says there's none good. No, not one, not even this man. None good. God gave his own heart to bring you in. What would you offer? What do you think you have to give? What do you think you do that day standing before God and there is his son and he's not going to ask you, well, how many cigarettes did you smoke? He knows what you smoked. How many drinks did you take? He knows how many drinks you took. Did you ever take any drugs? He knows if you ever took any drugs or not. He's not going to ask those things. You ever lie, cheat and say, he knows. He knows it. But what he's saying is, come and repent now because then it's too late. But not they, the unrepentant. He's not going to ask you all those things. He knows it. What he will say is, Here's my son who died for you. What did you do with him? What did you do with him? Did you accept him or did you reject him? And I mentioned something that I'll never forget the day the Lord takes me home. The night I got saved to come in a, a wretched drunk from being in a court case on a Friday. I'm being arrested on the Friday in the court to go into drinking dens and sitting in shabines for two days. I'll never forget it. My head was suicide. Couldn't cope anymore. I was staying a friend because I lost everything that I had. I was homeless. The friend says, you can come up and just let yourself in. I don't remember anything, but I'm going to, I'm finishing it tonight. I'm going to finish it. It's not that I wanted to die. I just hadn't the strength to live anymore. And I remember walking up and it was a a, a crisp, sunny morning. And I remember it was cool, but it was crisp. And I remember hearing my feet thudding and feeling it going through me. And I thought, I just want to go. Just, I, I have to do it today. And I woke up on the floor and I don't know what I'd done this day. I haven't a clue what happened. But I woke up on the floor with two Christians over me, laying hands on me, praying. And all I could hear is, he's coming round. He's coming round. They said, the veins in my neck, they says we're pumping out. They say, says we're coming out, thought they're going to blow up. That Sunday night, I don't can't even remember how it happened, but I ended up in a meeting, ended up in church, never went to church, and remember going. And remember after the end of it, Pastor McCall preached Christ and his cross. Never forget it. These were the words that rung in my head. He says, Friend, listen. You could go out those doors tonight. Without Christ, and you could go out into a lost eternity. Will you go out without Christ? I got saved that night. I'm walking out across the big foyer in Whitewell. It's all pretty new then because it was nice and new building was lovely and sparkly new, but at the time it didn't even think about any of the decor around me, but I remember seeing it. And I walked across, and I remember it was like a black rock sack with weights in it had dropped off my back. And I came to the door to go out, the very fine door, and I heard this voice. It's the voice of Pastor McConnell, but it was in my head. He wasn't shouting it again, but I heard the voice. If you go out those doors tonight, you could go out into a lost eternity. You can go to the devil's hell. Stopped at the door. The fear came on me. Oh, such fear. Never forget it. I just realized. But I'm saved. But I'm saved. I didn't understand it, but I realized it. I didn't know it. I didn't understand it all, but I knew something happened in me. And from that night... I didn't need rehab with my drug addiction. 
I didn't even need the doctors because I was seeing the doctors with all sorts going on. I didn't need it. Because when Christ came in, the devil went out. The devil went out. Such a Christ. Such a saviour. And what a God. Friend, you could go out those doors tonight. Go out without Christ, you go into a lost eternity. Lost forever. Oh, may God forbid it. Israel, remember. Remember the Lord Jehovah. Yahweh is the Almighty God. It's calling them back to remind them to increase their faith that they would rejoice before him. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we need to sit down and think of where God has saved us from. We can never add it all up because we wouldn't know. Here, the Lord says through the prophet, come and see. Come and hear. Sometimes God uses visuals. Here's what I mean. You might ask, <clears throat> would they be able to see with the natural eye still to behold the things of God? Can I see with the natural eye the things to behold the wonderful, glorious things of God? And the answer is yes. In Psalm 8, in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, listen to what it says. I want you to catch this because I want this to be your preacher. Do you hear me? I want this to be your preacher. See when you go home tonight and generally it's summertime so it'll be late to 10 o'clock or so whatever but see when it gets dark I want this to be your preacher. If the Lord spares us until the nights get dark again I want it to be your preacher. If you wake up in the morning the sun in the sky I want it to be your preacher. Not to worship the Son, but to realize the God who is in control of all things and who made all things. In Psalm 8 and verses 3 and 4 says, When I consider thy heavens, notice, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Notice, what is man? When I think of the heavens, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou should visitest him? Why would you seek me out? Why would you come to me at all? God could have left us all in this planet to die and be lost for all eternity, but rather he came for you. He came to visit. What a visitor. What a visitor. It's good to see sometimes our family visiting. Sometimes it's good to see them going as well. Sometimes it's good to see the pastor visiting, the elders visiting. Sometimes it's good to see them going too. But when God visits you, When God visits you, what a visitor. I can tell you, you never want him to leave. You never want him to go. And God visits you. And so when I consider thy heavens, the word consider, I want to look at it for a few moments here. It's a word of awe in the Hebrew text. And listen, it means to see, to look upon. But then it goes deeper and it means to inspect, to inspect to regard or to gaze at, to gaze at it. It means to observe or, listen, to give particular attention to. And the psalmist is saying, when I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Know what he's saying? And he hasn't got a telescope. He's nothing to view it with, only his own two eyes. Possibly 
He's a shepherd boy out and there's no light pollution of car lights and street lights and so on. And he has the great expanse of the sky above him. And he looks and he sees the, the, the innumerable and countable number of stars to him, let alone what we see and know today. And even at that, he can praise God. And he says, when, when I consider, when I, when I look at, then he says, but I'll look upon it and then, it gives the idea to step in deeper when I inspect it and gaze upon it. There's the idea that when I observe it and give it particular attention to it, he realizes how big God is. And little tiny planet Earth, and then on little tiny weenie, teeny weeny planet Earth, you have little tiny, teeny weeny human being. God's outside of it all, greater and bigger. And yet, he comes to visit. David is praising him. Listen, for example, in Genesis 1 and 4, it says, and God saw the light that it was good. The word saw is the same word for consider. And it means God looked at the light when he says, let there be light. And as he looked at it, he inspected it. And I'm bringing this somewhere here. It means he meticulously looked at the light that he spoke forth and there was light. He inspected it. He gazed at it. And then he declared it good. I want to tell you something. I'm going to bring you somewhere with this. Do you see whenever God looks at you, he inspects your soul. He inspects your heart. He inspects you meticulously looking into it to see whether you're good or not. You know why? Because he says there is none good. No, not one. But I'll tell you, see, in Judgment Day, see those who are saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I say this with full reverence to you, Father, so forgive me. I don't mean it any way irreverent, Lord. But he will meticulously look and inspect the heart. And when he meticulously looks and inspects me, you know what? He's going to say, that's good. This one's good, not because I'm good, but because his son was good. (laughs) And when he meticulously inspects us, he's going to say, no, I see no sin in him. And I see no sin in her. But outside of Christ, he will meticulously look and inspect and see the sin of all. It says in Psalm 14, if you want to turn with me just for a couple of verses quickly. Psalm 14. Verse 1 says, The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So here's God meticulously inspecting us and says this. Now notice, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any Is there any, he says, that understand and seek God? Notice here, God looks down from heaven. Now, I don't want to go too much into this, but the idea here is that God has looked in raw awe. He has inspected to see if there was anybody, anybody worthy, anybody who understand stands the condition of their heart, the condition of their mind, the condition of their spirit, the condition of their soul. The full depravity of their human nature means they cannot save themselves. Lost, dead before God, and he looks with inspection at it, and he says, dead, 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 to each and every one of us outside of Christ. That's why he sends forth the Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus dies and sends forth the Holy Ghost, comes into our hearts, and he starts to waken you up and quicken you. He invites you to the cross. Come and see. Want to see the wonderful works of God? Will we look at the Red Sea? Will we look at the River uh, Jordan? Will, will, will we look at the walls of Jericho falling down? What is it we're waiting for? Do we, do we have to wait and see this thing, that thing, or the other thing? You want to see the wonderful works of God? I'll tell you where you see them. Calvary! Calvary! That he would come and die for a wretch like me. Calvary! The blood is the wonderful work of God. The salvation of men and women's souls. That is the wonderful works of God. 
People chasing signs and wonders. Listen, I believe in signs and wonders. Don't get me wrong. But people chasing them, it's not about the signs and wonders. It's the Savior I want. It's the Savior we look for. You want to see the wonderful works of God? Then come to Calvary, will you? Oh, Holy Ghost, take us there. Holy Spirit, take us there tonight. Notice, the Lord looks and there's none. And then it says, if you, Psalm 22, I'll, I'll, I'll just read this out. The psalmist says, and he's, this, Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. It's, it's 700 and more years before. In fact, it's, yeah, 800, maybe more than 900 years before Christ dies. And psalm 22 is known as the psalm of the cross. Psalm 23 is known as the psalm of the crook. The Lord is my shepherd, the shepherd's crook. And Psalm 24 is known as the psalm of the crown, the cross, the crook, and the crown. And Psalm 24 is, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Let's open up your gates to him. But in Psalm 22, it just gives a picture of the cross years before it happens. And listen to one verse just for time's sake. Psalm 22 and 17, he says, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare. At me or upon me. It means, tell means I can count them stretched out on a cross, stretched out in Calvary, stretched out in agony, stretched out in pain with his flesh torn asunder. His flesh ripped the bits. It wasn't just a few weeks Matt marks on his back. The lodges came around, tore all bits of flesh off him everywhere. He was a bloody mess. He says, I can tell all my bones. It means I can count them. I can count my bones. And the spirit of prophecy here is the testimony of Jesus, testifying of that which would happen. And look what it says. I tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Now, the word look here is different than the word stare. For the word look is the word novat and implies, uh, uh, implies to look upon and regard with pleasure. To look upon and regard with pleasure. In other words, it's talking about those who crucified him. It's talking about those who called for his crucifixion. It's talking about the Jews around him, the Pharisees and the scribes, their leaders. It's talking about the Roman soldiers who carried out the act of nailing them to the cross. And there they are, and it says, they are looking at me with pleasure at what they've done. Rejected me. So this word means they look with pleasure. They're gloating, Father. Think about this. The son of the cross, hanging and bleeding and dying in agony. Father, they're gloating. They're gloating. They're in pleasure at what they've done in me. They look in pleasure. And the word stare is the same word, not at all. They're actually coming up to have a better view of me. They want to come up and look at me. They want to come up and see my agony, see my face. They want to come up and they want to view every part of me. They want to come up on the gloating pleasure in it. It's the idea of this. You say, well, did that happen? You're right, it happened. For it says in Matthew 27 and 36, when they nailed him to the cross, it says, and sitting down, they watched him there. Sitting down, they watched him, gloating that they'd put him to the cross, that they'd put him to the shame, that they'd inflicted the sufferings on him. And you feel, some people feel, I thought the same. I was like, Ross, I'm a prod. I'm an Ulster loyalist. I'm going to heaven. Look at me, Ulster loyalist. That was me. If that's you, friend, that's what you're relying on. You'll die without Christ and go to hell. Father, they're gloating. They look at me. Blood. Do you know what? They stare means they come and they gaze on me. They gaze inspect me they're inspecting him we have just been to Calvary 
We have just been to the cross. And I trust you're not one that's looking and gazing like they did to walk away. Like they did. Rather, you'd say, he done that for me. I glory in the cross. I gaze upon him. The crucified Christ. And I gaze upon his cross work. And I glory in it. Because he done it for me. I'll round this up to close it. Too much material. In Psalm 19 it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And the word declare here, it means to count or to tally up. It's the exact same word. It's the word sophair, by the way, and it means to count, to tally up. And it's the exact same word for I t- may tell all my bones in Psalm 22 and 17. I can count them. I can tally them up. They're sticking through. They're, you know, uh, uh, it's an emaciated look. Flesh ripped off them. He says, the heavens declare. Counts it up, the numbers of the stars. Here's what else this word means. It means to scratch, to scrape, and to inscribe. Alice and I, when we were not last week, the week before, away for a few days. We're walking from Port Stewart, or into Port Stewart. And there's a bit of a steps going down around the coast. And I happened to look, there's a bit of cement here. Obviously, it was hardened like, but and there was an ins- in- inscribed into it names. And I stopped and I looked at it. And I said, 1944, somebody's name. I says, look, Alison, 1944. Imagine not being there all that time, from 1944. That's what this word declares me. That's what the word tell means. It's a fair. It gives the idea to inscribe something that it leaves an everlasting impression. They may tell, they count them up, and it's like it's etched out. You etched out my bones. That they may see what I have borne. You spoke out the stars that we may behold. God has done all of this in his majesty and power. It's there. It's etched out. It's like that cement only. It's in grander, greater view. Come and see and come and hear. And Paul says, so then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Let me finish with the word soul. Soul. S-O-U-L. Verse 16 says, Come and hear, O ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I'm going to etch out for you. He says, The most everlasting impression that you could ever see or read when I try and give my testimony of this psalmist says, and again, what Ross meant this morning, trying to, when we give our testimony, trying to show people, listen, this is what he's done. This is what Christ does for the soul. And the saved soul will sing and will cheer and will rejoice in him. The word soul is nefesh. It means the seat of appetites, emotions, passions. It means the activity of your mind and your will and your character. And it is the token of life which draws in breath. You know what many Christ rejectors and atheists don't realize? That even though their breath is in their nostrils and lent to them by God, And even though they blaspheme him, curse and swear and hate him in their mind and their heart and speak all manner of evil about him, do you not realize that every breath they have, they're actually praising him and calling out his name and they don't know it? I want to show you. The sound of the Hebrew vowel, and it's Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now listen to the breath. 
And you think of the doctors, and this is true. This is the way it is expressed into the Hebrew text. You ready? It's the way the breath is. It means breath. And every single Christ rejecter realizes not that God has allowed them breath for that moment. And their breath is even calling out. It's a sound of the soul of the breath of God in it. They're saying, we don't want you. We don't believe in you. He says, well, you're calling me with every breath you take. But what if he was to take your breath? The real you, the passions, the emotions, the will, the character is your soul. And the psalmist says, come and hear all ye that fear God and I will declare what he hath done for the real me. You know the, the you that nobody really knows about? You know the real you that, uh, that you only understand? You know the real you when you're feeling that low and down that you try to express it like a testimony? You try to tell it, but you, you tell a bit of it, but you can't get it out. You can't express it and put it into words. That's the soul, the real you. That's the you. It's not that Christ came to save. Because there's going to be a day when that soul will be in terrible, terrible trouble. The real you, if it knows not Christ. Jesus says, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The word there in the Greek text is the word suke, uh, which is the exact same as nefesh in the Hebrew, exact same. What shall a prophet a man or a woman if, he, if they should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Listen, or what shall a man or a woman give in exchange for their soul? What would you give that your soul would not be lost forever? What would you give? You know what? There's nothing you can give. I took this one. Come from heaven down to earth to live a life you couldn't live and I couldn't live. To keep a law that we couldn't keep. To die a death we should have died. So come. Come to Christ tonight. Come to Christ. Give yourself to him. So here's the word for you before you leave. You could go out those doors tonight without Christ. And you could go to a lost eternity. Or you can come to Christ and be saved for all eternity. Your grace, would you please come up? Sing your final piece. God bless you tonight.